What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Colin, the chief Av Geek, aviation maniac, or whatever you want to call me. Welcome back, everybody, to the Avgi Chronicles podcast. Didn't have a podcast last week. Uh, apologize about that. Been a little busy and had a little bit of a technical difficulty with a with a computer issue. Uh, had to reload some software, so I'm really sorry we didn't release uh, release one uh, last week. But got a really good episode for you guys uh, today. I have a special guest with me today. We're gonna do a little Ask the Avgeek show again uh, today and. You guys might remember this gentleman. We'll call him a gentleman. I don't know if you're a gentleman, but we'll call you one. Uh, from a group episode we did a few uh, a few months ago uh, with Aaron David out of Canada, our good Canadian friend. Uh, but today I want to uh, welcome Brandon to the Ask the Have Geek show. How are you doing today? Pretty good, buddy. Thanks for having me back again. Of course, of course. It's kind of nice. This is. I don't have the chance to do live shows. All the time, and so having finally having you know the network here locally to to do some live shows, it's been a lot of fun, and I like to break it up. You know, I tell you, man, when FaceTime is a great program and it really helps this podcast, but there's just something more about doing it live and everything. So, um, so guys, I, I think I mean we have, we haven't had anybody from Brandon's background on the show. Not only does he have the background that he that he has right now. Uh, but basically everything up into what he's doing right now, I think everybody's really going to enjoy. Um, I think everybody's going to take something away from the podcast today uh, that I think you'll learn and be able to apply it in whatever you're doing. Uh, so I'm really excited to have Brandon on the show. Uh, but Brandon, before we get into your current career as a cargo pilot, uh, I kind of want the audience to have the opportunity to kind of understand who you are, get to know, uh, you know, where you came from uh, and basically your whole background on a personal level. Uh, because we've been, you know, as we've been getting to know each other, I mean, I keep learning new things all the time uh, because you have such an interesting background. So I think uh, we'll get into that here. Uh, so how old are you? Uh, you know, where are you from originally? Uh, and where do you call call home? Yep. So I'm 28. I'll be 29 in January. I was born and raised essentially in Frisco, Texas. So North Dallas, uh, that's home. And it has been for the last 28 years, I'll call it. So the Dallas, Texas area for all intents and purposes is home. I forgot the last part of that question was, I think, but did that, did that cover it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so and has kind of Dallas, Texas, the Frisco area, has that always been your home base? Well, it's been my home. I wouldn't say it's been my home base. Home, home base for terms of flying is different. You can be, uh, since obviously we're as an AvGeek Chronicle um, podcast, but flying base can be different than your actual home where you lay your head at night. So home base for flying has been various different places over the years. But as far as where I call home, where I vote, where, my, uh, where I pay taxes, driver's license, where my car's at, that's all. That's been always North Texas. Which is kind of interesting, and I think we'll get into it when we start talking about your pilot life, but you haven't lived anywhere else but, but Frisco. Nope. So you've been able to do everything, at least in aviation, that you've done by living in one place. Correct. And I think that's something that we'll touch on. I think it's really important because I think people have some misconceptions uh, every once in a while uh, about aviation and about the different careers that you got to move around or you got to move in certain places. Uh, right. So we'll talk about that here a little bit later. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have two younger sisters, so I'm the oldest of three. Uh, Elisa and Lena are their names. One of them lives in Washington, D.C., and she carried on uh, in the blood, the political 
the political, uh, what should I call it, legacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she works for a lobbying firm, and then the other one goes to a private school north of Boston. So she's, I believe, going into her senior year. She poli sci too? No, she's, I actually don't even know what she's majoring in. Is that bad? <laughs> but she's my baby sister. Yeah. Uh, but so there's the three of us. I'm the only one that flies. The other two doing their own thing. They're both in the Northeast. Yeah, which is kind of because, I mean, and what a lot of people don't know about Brandon, I mean, his, his, his father was a, a mayor of what used to be a relatively small city Correct. in North Texas. Correct. And now it's, I mean, I think it was on like a Forbes list of one of the fastest growing cities it was. Uh, in America. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was the fastest growing city in America for the last census from 2000 to yep. 2010. Because I remember when we moved there in 92, there were 6,000 residents, and now there's 185,000. And we had one high school, like two elementaries, and one middle school, and now there's like 12 high schools and 37 elementaries, something crazy like that. I'm, I'm sure I'm off on those numbers a bit, but, but it's exploded. Well, and when you have companies like Toyota who just up and decide to right. move their North American headquarters to a city and they literally bring all their people from California. Right. I tell you, like, <laughs> if you're a California person, you know, no offense to you, but when a company says, hey, we're going to go move to Texas. If I was living in California and somebody said, yeah, we're going to, if I knew like now what I know about Texas, I would have been like, yeah, sign me up. We're right. going right now. Um, but yeah, so you were the only one that went into aviation. I mean, was that... You know, how did you end up just picking that up? I don't really remember. I know that as long as I can, I say I don't really remember, but as long as I can remember, I've always loved aircraft and mm -hmm. aviation. I was always look up at the sky when an airplane flies over. Um, always had to have the window seat when I was a kid. We had, we'd fly somewhere as a family for vacation, and I was, always had to sit by the window where I was incredibly been out of shape. It's the only, it's the only good spot on the planet, I swear. I, the middle seat sucks. The middle seat sucks, but the older you get, the more you want the aisle, you can get up and go pee. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, tiny, tiny And you can escape syndrome. people that try to talk to you if you don't like them. Uh, yep. So, as a kid, that was my thing. I remember playing Flight Simulator for hours and hours and hours on end between the age of like 5 and 15. Then, I, I don't really know how I got into it. I know my extended family, uh, they were pretty high up with Boeing. So they kind of kept me into it, I would say. But no, my father was not a pilot. No one in my immediate family um, ever flew. So so what was life like growing up for you? I mean, obviously doing, you know, like flight simulator and just keeping up with aviation in general was a hobby. But what other things were you into? Did you play sports? Anything in the community? Yeah, so I grew up in North Texas. So obviously yep. I, was a, I played football for about seven or eight years. Who doesn't, right? What guy doesn't? Yep. So I did that. I wouldn't say I was particularly good at it. Uh, I wasn't making national stats or anything, but it was a thing to do in middle and high school for me. Always loved lifting wakes, hiking, rock climbing, kind of my personal uh, hobbies. Kind of a nerd at the same time. I was the kid in football that would take, that would show up at study hall with AP Spanish four books, <laughs> and the other guys would laugh at me, and then the coaches would applaud me. So it was kind of, kind of the mixed bag for me. Uh, as far as other hobbies, though, I don't know. Flying is kind of taken over. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. Like, when I think about my, like, I had, you know, I played a couple different sports. I, you know, we both were in Civil Air Patrol. I, we I were. still am in Civil Air Patrol. Still am, yep. Still, still Air am. Patrol. <laughs> um, but, yeah, ever since I picked up the aviation bug, I swear that's all I do. This thing takes you over, man. 
Yeah. It just it kind of out of it. encapsulates everything yeah. that you do. And so for the last at least 10 years of my life, since, since I, I would say from 17 or 18 years old onward, it's kind of been all revolving around aviation. It was like I'd, I, I actually quit football for one year and the coaches have really been out of shape over it because I wanted to go get my private. I think it was my junior year of high school. And it's like, you know what? They, they got over it. Yeah. <laughs> and I did what, I, what my lifelong dream well, yeah, was. You gotta, I mean, you got to do what, what makes you happy. But you didn't go to school. And I guess this is what's different between you and some of the other guests that I've, I've had on the show. Not everybody. Uh, but you didn't go to school to be a pilot. Correct. But you, you kind of knew that you wanted to be a pilot, but not really professionally. It was just right. kind of uh, it was something you wanted to do. So what university did you go to? What was university like? for you like the life like and then you know what did you study originally i was a normal college kid i went to smu some of you southern methodist university um those of you that are sports aficionados may know it as the university that got the death penalty by the ncaa back in the late 80s because they were caught paying their players um (laughs) that's a a different story to talk about but anyhow that's where i went to school Uh, normal college life uh, i had a couple jobs in college i worked almost the entirety of my four-year degree I, i got uh, my BA was in political science with a minor in history. And that was kind of intentional uh, in the sense that back then I wasn't quite sure. You know, I loved flying and I did it as a hobby only back then. We were discussing earlier how I thought I was going to go work in D.C. or overseas. Yep. Speaking using the Spanish or Arabic skills that I've got. So I thought that's what I would be doing. And... I thought that getting a political science degree would coincide or follow along with that quite well. Then the more I got into flying, the more I realized I would want to do it as a career. And I rounded out my college career having a degree or getting a degree that I, at that point, was pretty well sure that I wasn't going to be using. And here I am today not using it seven (laughs) years later or eight (laughs) years later. So it's a nice backup to have, certainly. I I actually... I'm not ragging on anyone who has an aviation degree, certainly not. Uh, but it's a good idea to, I would say, not get an aviation degree because if something were to ever happen, namely medically, to you, whether that's a car accident or some weird form of cancer or something happens to where you can't fly anymore, it's nice to have a fallback mm-hmm. to where you, you, can, you can say, yeah, I've got a four-year degree in something that I could use and I'm not having to live off disability or having to rely on my parents, right? Yeah, and it's a it's a tough discussion, right? Because w- when you think about it, like right off the bat, if you want to become a professional pilot, to go through the process of getting everything you need, it's actually not as big of an investment as like saying go to a university would be. Right. But on the flip side, you know, though some of these companies are getting a little more lax on the whole degree requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I mean, I'm on your side. It's it's something that is almost in today's world like if something happens right i mean that piece of paper is what unlocks a lot of jobs correct um unless you're an entrepreneur and then you can basically <laughs> do whatever you want but not not everybody's an entrepreneur uh, so through everything you know that you've been going through and, and all the different changes and just kind of your interest did you ever think back then that you would be at the place you are today no not at all I thought I would either be an attorney or I'd be sitting over in some Middle Eastern country, you know, have some government job. 
that's what I thought I would do. Yeah. That, you know, if you asked me 10 years ago, I'm seven, 20, like I said, I'm 28 now. If I was, if you asked 18 year old or 17 year old me what I thought I'd be doing in 10 years, it'd be more along those lines than this. So now instead of the government shipping you off to these places, you're just flying yourself. That's right. <laughs> these places. Flying to some myself some of these places and having nice layovers and getting to hang out on the beach. <laughs> well, usually. Yeah. <laughs> so looking back on kind of how you grew up, what was one of the things that you maybe wish you could have experienced more uh, as, you know, as a kid, a teen, you know, going through college? Was there something that you didn't get to experience that you're looking back and like, man, I wish I would have done that. Well, uh, let's see. That's a tough one because there's certain, there's a lot of answers to that that I could give. I'd say in college, I was really tempted in hindsight, a lot of ways I wish I had rushed for a frat. It was, it would have been a more fun social thing. A lot of SMU kids end up doing that. I'd say the majority do. The same is not true for most, or I say most, a lot of universities. But at SMU, it's kind of like you, you kind of have to be in a frat or sorority to, to get anywhere. Like high school, yeah. It was yeah. like 90, 98% of the undergraduate uh, population was part of a group. Where'd you program. go, Colin? Creighton University. Oh. Small school, Catholic. Gotcha. Which yeah. is funny because Omaha, a lot of kids actually, yeah, I would say there was a good handful that would always come down to either SMU or TCU. Yeah. So you know, so you saw. Mm -hmm. But it, it was the same deal. I was like, I felt socially isolated sometimes in college. I mean, I had friends, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, you weren't getting invited to all the giant parties. Or if you were, it's because you knew. You knew someone. You knew inside, someone. Yeah. Or you had to, like, kind of make buddy up with someone who would invite you, especially as a guy. Yep. You know, not, I mean, being a chick, you could get invited anytime you wanted. But so I worked two jobs, like I said, in college. So I, I, I kind of wish I had done more of the college kid thing in some ways. Uh, I did a lot my freshman year, but after that I really worked at least one, two, at one point even three jobs, all part-time obviously, as I was going to school, and the hours were cruddy a lot of times. So so what, what jobs did you hold while you were in school? So at one point um, I worked, I was a ZAM driver at the ICE at Stonebriar Center that's now closed up here at the mall. Uh -huh. So I, I was a manager and a ZAM driver there. Uh, then I worked at TSA, so I was the guy that that everybody had, hated. That everyone hated. They got to, <laughs> but yeah, you know what though, man? At twenty two dollars an hour in college, yeah, it was that's a great pretty job. good. Yeah. yeah, and I worked three days a week, and you got federal benefits too. Yep, even part time. So that was a great, great job. Government experience. Uh, like I said, it kind of followed along with what I thought I was going to do in the past. Yep. So that's why I did it. So did that concurrently, and uh, then I also worked at the gym on campus at SMU at one point. So when you decided to rack your weights incorrectly or not rack them at all, at the end of the night, I was the guy that came up behind you and cl cleaned up after you and put them back where they were supposed to be. So <laughs> so I'm sure you gained a lot of pet peeves by, by working in a, all of, a you know, facility. All of those like, places. Come on, people, it's not hard. Yeah, all, all of those places I did. And uh, yeah, so prior to the end of college, that was my, those were my jobs. Then I had a different job. Also in flying, unrelated to flying, after I got out of college, while I was still instructing, though. I was still flight instructing yeah. at the same time, but I was a CPS investigator for the state of Texas for a long time. Oh, wow. So people that beat their kids, I was the guy that came and took them away. So that was depressing in its own right. Yeah, it's crazy. But, my, you know, my wife can never tell me tell me stuff, but she's a, I mean, she's a kindergarten teacher. She worked in South Dallas. I mean, some oh, yeah. pretty low-income stuff, man. And she, she didn't have to, she worked in a low-income school back home uh, in Omaha after she graduated uh, behind me. 
but she's had to deal with CPS a few times, man. She says it's miserable. She never wants to do it. Yeah, I put it out of my mind. I worked there for two and a half years, but yeah, so that's... (laughs) (laughs) So basically, I mean, through this, I mean, you have a fairly interesting background. I mean, you Mm -hmm. didn't think you would be where you are today. You didn't think you'd be this far in aviation with with the experience that you have. Um, But through it, you've, you've learned a lot and you've gained a lot of experience. And I think this, the experience that you have is a lot of things that especially young aviators moving their way through the industry. Now they don't have, they don't know, and they don't have the network that teaches them that. Sure. Um, And with that, I know a lot of people talk about, you know, airline pilots being the thing that they're going to do because that's all you hear in the news today right Mm -hmm. um but i want to jump into your piloting life you know in in the career that you have uh because i think you can debunk uh, a lot of this stuff and simply by going through the experience Mm -hmm. uh, that you have because you have not just uh you know uh, flight instructing experience corporate experience and now cargo experience so you have all this experience uh, so with that, let's deep dive into your, your personal flying life because I know there's a lot of people uh, that are going to be interested in how you've kind of been able to almost navigate through this all. Um, at the end of the day, what was the defining moment when you told yourself, I'm going to do this for a career? What was that, what was that question again? The defining moment when you were like, I'm going to do this for a career. I think seeing enough pretty sunrises at my last flying job, or pretty sunsets, if you will. Uh, that's a good one. Because you were going in and out either late or early, right? Right. Well, cargo, that's yeah. always the case. But even with my last job, it was usually really early morning departures. And seeing firsthand, you know, pretty views. I mean, everyone loves that, right? It kind of it, it releases that serotonin. Um, but also knowing that I had a job where when I was done, I was done. You know, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, oh, I had to stay at work late. Uh, or they get home and they have to answer emails or they feel obligated to answer an early morning, morning phone call before they get into the office. Whatever their job is, it doesn't really matter. But there's a lot of situations where that's the case with, with being a pilot. It's like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to go to the hotel or I'm going to go home and I'm done until X day or X time. And there's no head work that I have to do. There's nothing ahead of time that I have to take care of that's it you know so that's that's a big one for me it's when you when you're done with work you can leave it leave it at the office so to speak which is a big piece uh, or that's very important to me in terms of the QOL QOL when I say QOL if to anyone wondering it means quality of life yeah well and, and what I think is interesting and we, we were talking about this uh, prior to the podcast is your your parents kind of picked up on it and they seem to be really supportive. I mean, they did. Do, do you think that's played a part in the success that you've had so far in the industry? 100%. I had really supportive parents, mom and dad both. Mom was a good mom. She was a stay-at-home mom, raised myself and my two younger sisters. Dad uh, worked really hard. Uh, family was entrepreneurs. They were actually, my dad's family was immigrants to mm-hmm. the United States in the early 70s. Uh, so I'm, I'm first-generation American on his side, at least. And they worked really hard and made... Uh, enough money certainly not rich let's let's get get that off the table but they made enough money that we could live comfortably go on vacations and and I was able to do flight lessons when I was younger you know uh, starting at age 10 my dad recognized that I was really into aviation I I think and again my, my memories on this are shady because I was so young but I would <clears throat> quote unquote or as I thought when I was six or seven or eight years old build airplanes in the backyard with my dad's power tools <laughs> And he'd get upset and come home and tear him apart and I'd cry or be upset and he would, uh, 
you know, yell at me for using his stuff. And then he realized it wasn't a phase by the time I was about 10 years old. So he signed me up for lessons over at, I still remember it was Monarch McKinney, where the old Monarch building was yeah. over at TKI. And uh, it was all downhill from there, or uphill for me, downhill for, for his pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, but. Think it's, I, I think it's really important. And what tips would you give to, to young kids out there who, who want to go into aviation? Maybe haven't brought it up to their parents or have brought it up to their parents and they're not super supportive about it, right? Because it costs a lot of money. Right. Oh, you know, you hear the horror stories, you're not going to get paid a lot. And it's just the parents that, you know, basically aren't supportive of what these, what kind of tips would you give those individuals to end up getting that support? Well, I think Civil Air Patrol, me joining that at age 12 was one of the best things I ever did. And again, I, I credit my, my dad really for that one because I didn't know what the, didn't know what that was. Yeah. You won't get to fly as much as you think. It's not like, oh, join CAP and you get to fly every week or every day or it's free. It, it's still not. Uh, it's subsidized a bit. It's cheaper for cadets, for kids. Uh, it's a really good youth program on top of that. But that was a good one for me. My, my first solo was actually with CAP at age 16. They had a Texas Wing Flight Academy, yep. I remember, down in South Texas. Mm -hmm. I think it was Brazoria County, south of Houston. So I went down there for a week and you fly twice a day. And I think it was like 800 bucks. And you fly twice a day, you get 10 hours, uh, all meals included and everything. And you get the solo at the end of the week if the weather cooperates and if you and the instructor are both confident and ready in your own skills. So that was, I'd say, the, the catalyst or the, the kickoff for me as to what really got me going. Because as I told you, I, I flew starting at age 10, mm -hmm. but between age 10 and 16 in the United States, under our laws and rules, you can't do anything with it really. Because yeah. you can't solo until age 16 in a powered aircraft. Glider is 14 for anyone that wants to pursue glider, which I recommend, by the way. But for powered stuff, talking powered stuff only, you have to be 16. Yeah. So that was really, what that was my kickoff because the lessons were pretty sporadic between age 10 and 15. And in, in, in it's funny about Civil Air Patrol, and, and I've learned this over the years, is even if you're, you know, you're not young, you're not in high school, you say you're in college and you're trying to pursue this, it's still a really good thing to be a part of and volunteer because as a mm -hmm. quote unquote senior member, you still have the ability, if you get the proper approvals, to be able to fly the aircraft at a right. super discounted rate right. with instructors that you don't have to pay. Uh, that you don't have to pay. Right. That's true. Yeah. The instructors can't charge um, and the airplanes are discounted. I think it was like $38 dry an hour for a 172, which isn't bad. Some people, and I admit I'm guilty of this, uh, feel that it's a little bit too much red tape. Yeah. Which it can be depending on where you're at and which I'm not going to speak to every squadron or every state slash wing, but it's certainly difficult at times to, oh, yeah. to fly some of those aircraft. But granted, it is cheaper. <laughs> so well, yeah, it's, it's and, what's it worth to you. And I would agree. <laughs> you know, I, I've gotten to know two squadrons down here now. And the squadron that I was a part of in Dallas, it was a flying squadron. That's, right. I mean, that's all the seniors did was fly. So if you're you probably if you want to take that route i guess and maybe you have a different opinion but for me if they're like oh i'm looking at civil air patrol i would say find somebody that has a squadron with a plane yes instead of a squadron that has to use other right other planes that's a huge piece of it it's also just you got to wear your uniform and wear this and do that and get a flight release and fill this paperwork out before and after and so for some people and i was one of those people in college working a few jobs i said you know what i i could do this but i'd rather pay a little bit more and 
have less stress. But for yeah. some people, if the money's tight, it's a it's a great option. Yeah. Uh, and by and large, the organization is a great organization with a lot of really good people. So when you were starting out flight training, what was the process like for you? And would you have done anything differently now that you have the experience that you, you have? I can't say that I would have. I started, like I said, at age 10. It was sporadic because yep. obviously dad was paying for me at age 10 or 12 to take lessons. I, I don't really see that I had taken any missteps, but I also don't know that there's a right or a wrong way to, to undertake flying lessons. Uh, it's more of what do you want to do? You know, I know guys that are, have their hearts set on flying corporate the rest of their lives, guys that want to do cargo, guys that want to fly passenger. There's people that only ever want to fly for fun as a hobby. They want to buy a nice airplane, and that's it. So it, it depends on what your personal goals are in aviation. Uh, I can't give you a, a cookie-cutter one-stop shop fits all answer to that. So you're also a CFI now. I am. Uh, and, and it's strange because not only are you a CFI, but you, you know, you fly cargo and, and you actively do both, especially the CFI part. Correct. Why actively do both? Because a lot of people, especially when they make it to the airlines, they, you know, they fly and they don't do anything more. I mean, do you just have the passion for, for teaching or is it just something you enjoy? Why do both? I do have a passion for teaching. The reason I even got my CFI was because enough people had told me back in the day as a private pilot, oh, you, you're, you're kind of really good at teaching this stuff. You should be going to an instructor. And I said, yeah, all right. I kind of waved him off. And then the more I got into it, the more I said, you know what, maybe I should do that. Yeah. So that's part of it too. It's, I mean, I can't lie. It's part of it is money. Uh, I've always been a self-proprietor as an instructor. I've never, ever worked for any school or anyone else. I've, I've always just, I worked off word of mouth only in the North Dallas area or Dallas Fort Worth area, I should say which is a pretty good market for people needing instructors. Yep. So I'm always around and available for that all my days off. So when I'm home, it keeps me busy. It's, it's extra money, uh, just, you know, side money for the weekends, if you will. But, uh, but I enjoy doing it nonetheless. It keeps your skills sharp as a pilot too. Um, I, I think I credit a lot of what I do in my professional job, flying cargo, to being an active instructor. I can see sense, if you will, when someone else, even this captain that's sitting next to me who has gobs more experience than I do, you could kind of detect more easily when someone's going to make a mistake because instructing is as much about aviation as it is human factors and psychology. human physiology. Yeah. Psychology, exactly. So to that point, it makes you develop almost a sixth sense in a way. You can foresee when someone's going to make a mistake. Certainly when I'm with a new guy flying, you could hop in an airplane with me and I said, oh, okay, you're kind of sitting back and watching and kind of smirking to yourself because you know you've seen this sort of thing a million times before. And I love that, that kind of foresight and intuition that, that instructing gives you. And the same is true with instrument instruction or multi-engine instruction. Uh, I do all three, multi-single, uh, CFI, double NMEI. So it's, it's a great deal. So when you started out and you started accumulating the hours, I mean, did you know what type of pilot you really wanted to be when you started out? Because, I mean, you've, you've dabbled in a few different areas now. Right. I, I mean, was that the goal or before you were like, uh, this is what I didn't want to do, you know? And then actually I'm doing something different now. Like, what was that like for you? No, I think my career as a pilot progressively got more serious. Yeah. Uh, initially, uh, as you and I discussed off the air, off, <laughs> off the off podcast, podcast. Um, a few minutes ago, I initially thought that, oh, I just want to fly for a hobby. It's fun. But I'm going to go be a poli-sci major, a political science major, and go work 
with some government job, you know, translate, you know, Arabic or Spanish or be federal law enforcement or Intel or something like that. So I thought that was going to be the deal at first. Then uh, I went and got my commercial. I don't remember what the impetus for that was, that was, but I got my single commercial and started flying aerial tour flights around downtown Dallas for, a, for this company. And we flew weddings, anniversaries. That was fun, kind of on the side. Uh, I may have even still been in college for that one. Then people pushed me to get my CFI, and I did that, and I started instructing. My hours started building, and then before I realized it, I had over a thousand hours. I said, "Oh wow, you know, cool." And I think over the years, the more I enjoyed it, the more serious I just became. You know what I mean? Then I, as I told you earlier too, I worked at Flight Safety in the right seat program in the in the Astrojet Gulfstream 100 program, and that was kind of my exposure to jet world, if you will, sitting there doing V1 cuts all day every day with various different clients and guys saying, hey man, you're really sharp, come fly with me and doing contract work in the real airplane. And I think, I think that right there was kind of where it turned from fun to like, hey, this is starting to become a job, yeah. <laughs> almost of sorts, you know, I'm getting yeah. paid to, to fly, so. So, and you're still young, I mean, 28 years old, you already, I mean, how many hours do you have accumulated already so far? Uh, last I added them up. Uh, I think I'm right over 3,500 hours. Which for the average young aviator, they're like, man, how did you, like, how did you, but I mean, for me, right, like, it's it's almost like when you get that first license, they just, it just seems like the hours start accumulating, especially when you start spending more time around, right, around the airport, around people, around mm-hmm. the industry. Um, and you've made a few leaps from different aircraft, right? So you, you were doing right. the Astrojet, you've flown 172s. You've flown uh, the Pilatus, you know, mm-hmm. with Boutique, and now you're on the 67. Yep. How has that transition from all those aircraft been for you? And, I mean, what's been your favorite one to fly so far? Well, I have, oh, I love the 767. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's a Boeing aircraft. and it's a and big it's, bus. <laughs> it's, it's a big, yeah, it's 300-something-odd thousand pounds, depending on the aircraft. All our, all our weights are different depending on the actual aircraft, so I can't quote you one. But... We, uh, you know, I went to the Astrojet and I did the flight safety thing first, which I, I, I cannot recommend that program enough. Honestly, guys, it's, and it, flight safety is full of good people. The training you'll get there is amazing. But for any young aspiring aviator that has, call it between 1,000 and 1,500 hours, it's a, it's a part-time gig. You sit right seat. So essentially you're the SIC in a two-man required aircraft. So whether that's a, a, a Gulfstream, whatever, you sit right seat for single clients who come through for their initial recurrent training. You make good networking contacts. It's, it's not about the money. It's about the networking, and it's about getting the experience. And, yes, it's a simulator, but it's a level D sim nonetheless. The FAA credits it as, as legal time. Uh, I wouldn't log it as legal time, but it's still credited as legal time. And you, you, you kind of really get exposure to what professional flying is like where you know you're following regimented checklists and you're doing things by the book it's not off the cuff at the seat of your pants uh weekend warrior stuff (laughs) so so that uh going back i think to your what was your original question regarding that well just uh like how has been the transition from all the different you know types that you've been able to fly and now up to the 767 you know the transition between those all how has that been and then you know what's your favorite so yeah so the reason I brought up the flight safety thing and the training there is because I was glad I did that prior to even flying the Pilatus. Yeah. So I went from the Astra. I, I actually, that was contract work with various clients. And then I said, you know what? I want something more serious here. All right. 
so I went and got the 135 gig flying flying the PC12, uh, and uh, I'm glad I did because that having already had that exposure to an aircraft that is fast and is pressurized and flies high is is a big leap for someone if you're coming straight from like a, a 172 or from a crop duster, right? It's it's a big it's, it's a tall order. Yeah. Then going to the 76, I guess, was kind of more that's like a big leap from the PC to it, it, the it 76. It is. It's a big leap. And again, I credit I credit the flight safety thing to be yeah. for my base. Really, that was I would have had no idea. I mean, there's just stuff that there's stuff that you do flying a multi jet that you will never, ever deal with or experience flying a prop. And I'm not I'm not demeaning anyone who flies a prop. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying experience wise i i would have been a prop like well yeah and i still fly props <laughs> yeah. believe me i own a tomahawk yeah i teach out of a little 112 horsepower two-seat tomahawk that is my my personal aircraft that i that i leave over at addison and i give flight instruction in uh when i'm not teaching another stuff bonanzas or or archers or arrows i still fly all that junk but and i love it but you will never know what a, what v2 plus 10 even means or what a stage two climb is or what a balanced field length means those are just terms you don't talk about accelerate stop distance and accelerate go distance in those aircraft. You never have. You don't need to. So uh, I, I credit the flight safety training. I credit flying the Gulfstream for my baseline, even flying the Pilatus or the 7.6. Uh, if you want to view the Pilatus as a step backwards and then a step forward back to the 7.6, then you can. I, in some ways, I, I kind of do. But the experience in all three was they were all they are all equally valuable to my career i wouldn't say that doing one ahead of the other was better per se well and i hear the pc12 is a pretty fun aircraft it's very fun to fly too yeah you can you be neck capable. And, neck and neck with southwest on final and slow it to 90 knots over the numbers yeah so <laughs> it's a pretty capable aircraft yeah uh so let's get into kind of the the life of a cargo a cargo pilot right like cargo pilots just you guys have a different life compared to most uh to, to most regular scheduled carrier mm -hmm. uh, pilots. So what, A, you know, have you enjoyed it so far, and what is a typical day schedule like for you? So that's, the answer to that is variable, is, or is it varies, I should say, because a lot of what we do in cargo, and if you think about it, it makes sense, is overnight. That is, you know, you ship something with DHL, for example, or, or you know, FedEx or UPS, you ship something and you get to the post office or to the, the shipping office at 5 p.m. or 3 p.m. by the cut, whatever the cutoff time is for overnight shipping or next day shipping, right? Well, it's got to get to your destination at some point. So if you live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you're trying to get that item to, you know, Grand Forks, North Dakota, <laughs> next day shipping, it's got to get there somehow and it's not on a truck. Yep. So all of that means that the pilots that fly your stuff has to be, most of it is overnight. Uh, I, I would say for my particular company, probably about a third of it is daytime and then two thirds of it is overnight. So most of our flights start somewhere between, uh, we'll call it 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. And I was about to say that because I, I mean, you know, I live over by the Alliance Airport and mm -hmm. from about, I was just about to say, I'm like, between the hours of 10 p.m. <laughs> and actually it's more like about 1 a.m. to yep. 4 a.m. Yep. is when I can start here in the jets. Me, I, you know, I can sleep and wake up. But from about 1 to 4, it's pretty active with the big guys yeah. coming in and out. Right. Um, so would you say with people... <laughs> 
that want to fly if they can't do the early thing. Maybe cargo. Yeah, it's probably not your thing. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, and you'll meet this, or you'll meet this, you will experience this if you have any other, or you have siblings or, or family that, that do other jobs like, say, police officer or a nurse or a doctor. You know, they, that's a 24-7 clock for them, too. But I would argue that those jobs are probably easier in the sense of getting a circadian rhythm because most of those are, are consistent. Yeah. So it's, it's fine. You know, if you work an overnight shift and that's all you do, and all you do is work from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. or midnight to, to 10 a.m., and that's all you ever work, then you can develop your, uh, a sleep schedule accordingly. The difficulty that I have with, with flying cargo or flying overnight in general is that you're never experiencing a consistent schedule. It's not, oh, five on, two off, or it's seven days of the week this. It's, you know, tonight you might fly, you know, start, you might show up at 4 a.m. to depart at 5 a.m. and be done at noon, or then tomorrow you might start at 10 p.m. and be done at four in the morning. So that really is the issue. It's the inconsistency and the inability to really develop a, to get your circadian rhythm set. <laughs> so you don't have a circadian rhythm. <laughs> and it's, I mean, is that difficult, the, the hours that, you know, with the rhythm and, and the different countries that you have to go to? I mean, you were telling me how you're going to go, you know, from the States to Germany, 24 hours and then yep. back. Yep. I've been international. I know how hard it is to, I mean, is that, you can't train for that. Nope. I mean, so what's, <laughs> for people that are looking at the career that you have, I mean, what are the, the tips and tricks that you, you would give them? Well, you get sleep where you can. Yeah. And I think, and by the way, we've been talking about cargo, but I think, a lot of it, this is 121 world in, in general, in terms of 121 world being operating rules of 121 FARs, but uh, the pa there's a lot of passenger stuff that goes on very early too. They have 3 a.m. wake-up calls and all that. You just get the sleep where you can, and you have to learn to bring earplugs. You have to learn to take some melatonin. <laughs> and if you're a light sleeper like I am, you just you do what you got to do, and it's not always the easiest, you know, they say, oh, you've got 12 hours off at the hotel. And like yesterday I was in Miami, um, or is that, sorry, excuse me, the day before it all runs together. Now the day before I was in Miami, we got in at six in the morning and then we had to leave again that night at 8 PM. And it's like, well, that's plenty of time. That's 14 hours off. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, but when the maids are knocking on the doors next to you and there's kids running up and down the hallways screaming and you know, someone has a TV on next door and there's traffic outside because it's four o'clock in the evening. It, it, there's a lot of things that really prevent you from getting adequate rest, even though you may have had sufficient quote unquote book time worth of rest. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to take the sleep where you can an hour here, hour there. <laughs> some, some days that's all you get. Yeah. And, and with this next question, it's meant to be lighthearted and funny because every time when I was, you know, when I was thinking about all the different questions I'm going to ask you, I tend to ask this question about everybody, especially with the different career paths that, uh, that we've had on the podcast so far. But, but in Top Gun, Maverick's boss <laughs> flew, you know, after he did the flyby and pissed some people off, you know, he was threatening him and said, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to start flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit. Like yeah. cargo, like cargo <laughs> is a terrible job. And then I got to learn more. I'm like, it's really actually a really cool job. It's so much different um, than anything. And, and I know you agree. So for the career that you have right now, what is so rewarding about being able to, to be a pilot in the cargo environment? Well, I'll just uh, be lighthearted with this answer too. Boxes don't bitch. <laughs> I mean, it's true. For right being now. honest, yeah. It, it's now they do catch on fire, but that's another thing. So, 
but that, there's fire that, suppression systems. That. <laughs> there's fire suppression systems. Yeah, you know, that's fire on an airplane is not that's yeah. the last thing you want. Um, <laughs> but th- so that's that's the rewarding part of it. You know, when you're done, you don't have to walk through a terminal full of people trying to ask you stupid questions. You know, I, I feel like I get more and more Scrooge-like every time I fly out of a passenger <laughs> terminal because people are asking me dumb stuff. It's like. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, lady, what makes you think that I know the answer to that? I don't, (laughs) I'm not from here. You just, they think you have the answer. Uh, People want to ask, because you're a trusted person in uniform, they want to ask you questions. But, so, it's nice to be able to be done, walk down the stairs of the aircraft, get into your hotel van and drive away. And you're, you're, it's not even 10 minutes, five minutes sometimes before you're moving away from the aircraft. That's really nice. Uh... What else can I say about it? Well, in the environment in the cockpit and just it's very overall, I'm sure it's a lot lighthearted. I mean, you're not because I feel like when you're flying for an airline, I mean, it's a full out job. You got 200 plus mm-hmm. lives right. you know, that you got to count on right. versus you guys. I mean, it's it's you two and maybe a third or maybe a jump seat or, right. you know, people who are transiting. Right. So I bet the environment is just a little bit different operating. Absolutely. We can decide to you know, where the, I have the, the, uh, undershirt on and I can take off my blouse while we're flying. If it's a long flight and kind of relax for a little while, cause who's going to wear a button down shirt for five or six or eight hours, um, on a transcontinental flight. Very few people want to do that if they don't have to, but there's no danger of, you know, hey, I got to go back in the lab and I got to put my shirt back on and, and all that. Cause who me, who's going to see you? Nobody. Right. So that, that is a positive aspect to it. We talked about the negative sleep aspect to it, but the positives are, are the getting out of there quick kind of being a little bit more relaxed on stuff like that. We still follow the same checklist protocols and on all that. I mean, obviously you're not flying people, you're flying hundred million dollars worth of someone's stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still a 300,000 pound aircraft that can do major damage if you screw up. So there's those things, those, those things to keep in mind. And which and, we learned by, you know, the absolutely. Yeah. The, south. the mean, Atlas seven, six. Yeah. And we still don't know exactly what happened. People are going to conjecture all day and they really have no clue what they're talking about. But <laughs> even as a seven, six pilot myself, I can't really, accurately conjecture at this point but there are those things to it certainly so i mean it's obviously something that you have found enjoyment in uh you know it's being able to jump to the six seven like that i mean if you want to go the airline route it's going to take you a while to get to an aircraft like that purely based on uh Mm -hmm. experience so in your personal eyes and i feel like you feel this way, but what makes the cargo route a better route for a pilot to go than, say, some of the other routes? You said make, what makes the cargo makes route? A, yeah, makes it a better route. I know a lot of cargo guys who would never do anything else, um, and their reasoning is partly what I said. It's just more relaxed, and they get to get in and out quicker and don't have to deal with pass. And I say deal with passengers. I don't mean because, I mean, I'm a passenger sometimes, too, when I fly. But people, you know, you've got that many people behind you. There's a lot of different things that can go on. You know, someone has a heart attack. Someone has uh, some other medical issue. There's there's a lot of a lot of things that go in and out of flying passengers that we don't have in cargo and vice versa. So I know a lot of guys that fly cargo. And when you get senior enough, you can dictate your schedule in such a way that, hey, maybe the sleep schedule doesn't affect you as much because you're only gone. You're only working one week a month. Yeah. <laughs> so I know a lot of guys enjoy that aspect of it being able to to do all that especially when you work for some of the uh, the bigger cargo companies but i don't as far as like personal reasons i i don't know you know those would be mine i don't know what some other guys might they, they a lot of people it's really important to be home a lot so 
they would want to work for a company, cargo or otherwise, that would allow them to be at home more often, uh, be with their families. There's some, I saw a job posting the other day. It was for an Asian cargo airline flying an Airbus. Flying for? Flying an Airbus product. I can't remember the company. You said it was an Asian cargo airline? Yeah, Asian cargo airline. Hmm. And they were, I guess this, this would be, for if you're single or if your family wants to move to Asia because it is an Asian-based uh, position. But, I mean, some of the earning potential in some of these jobs in the cargo environment, I mean, it's pretty high. This was offering a $300,000 salary flying an Airbus. Right. I mean, so there's other opportunities out there than just some of the domestic stuff too, right? There there are, but you have to be careful. Again, and I'm, when I answer this, as I've mentioned a couple of times on your last podcast when, when Aaron was with us, when I give an answer, it's it's tailored to U.S. people yeah. or U.S. pilots, right? I'm not, I, I don't know everything about, you know, the, the ins and outs of being a pilot in another country. So again, this answer, as all of my answers, are tailored to that. That being said, you have to be careful when you're looking at foreign other country uh, jobs in other countries for one they may or may not accept FAA licenses yep. certificates so you may need uh, a, a um, I can't, um, excuse me a EASA conversion or or the likes a CA conversion depending on who what license that country accepts usually it's not really involved but sometimes it is um, so there's that but then the other thing you have to consider is that when you, when you move over there, or, or that uh, taking a job with a, one in one of those countries will likely require you to move. It's not commutable, <laughs> and you have it to takes eighteen hours to commute to exactly to, to Singapore. Exactly, that's where it's exactly. And so you have to make sure that you want to live in that sort of a place. And if it's somewhere like Singapore, it's like oh gosh, you make a lot more money. Well, how, do you know how expensive it is to live in Singapore? Singapore yep. is like the most expensive country in Asia. Yep, I think Singapore and Hong Kong are neck and neck as far as I as far as I know. So. That's worth considering, you know, being away from friends and family is worth considering. Um, a lot of guys were talking about, oh, there's good, good jobs in Beijing. And I said, well, yeah, if you don't come down with lung cancer in six months because the smog is yeah. terrible. So there's a lot of things to look at and consider. And do they require a contract? Do they want to sign on contract of any sort? You know, how much of your life do you owe these people? And where do you want to be in two years? Because that's a two-year contract. Well, two years from now, you may loathe, i.e. hate, <laughs> doing that. But right now it sounds great, right? So you have to consider, okay, what is this on paper versus what does this mean to me in real life? Yeah, and the reason why so. I brought up the question because, you know, as I was reading through some of the comments, you know, below this, right, like you get the hot and cold ones bringing up both sides. But right. just because, you know, a job looks great on paper, you still have to look into the deeper stuff. Right, that's, exactly. Um, that's it, part of it. It's on, on paper, you know, and, and you have to consider too, guys, recruiters, recruiters for any airline or any company, it's like, kind of like talking to a military recruiter. They'll promise you, anything you want, uh, but unless they put it in writing, it does not mean jack squat. Yeah. It just doesn't. Either put it in writing or it didn't happen. Yeah. That's that's what I tell people. Unless unless it's written down and it's signed by the applicable parties, don't just look at, read something, hear something, and assume that that is true or that that's what will transpire. So before I get into the last question about kind of your experience in the cargo flying, for somebody that maybe is looking into to flying cargo, maybe that's a route that they want to do, what type of hour requirements uh, do they require? And will some of these folks have to build uh, in order to just be competitive when applying? Well, obviously more hours are better, but also consider that not all hours are created equally. So you have to, <clears throat> one of the things I, I think I did, a, I hope I did a good job of um, 
early on in my flying careers. I didn't just fly to barbecue with my friends constantly, and that's not all my hours. I mean, it, it's nice to say, yeah, I have this number of hours, but how good are my 3,500 hours if all of them were flying in a 172 on nice VFR days in my local area versus at night through icing and IMC, you know, in the flight levels, cross country landing at big into Hartsfield or or O'Hare or or LAX, you know, which is kind of some of the stuff I tried to do um, in my last job. And also anytime I had the chance personally, I'd, I'd do stuff that was more worthwhile in terms of hours. So that's, that's key. And then in terms of what was, what's required for cargo, I think it's about the same as it would be for passenger. Some passenger airlines have other, uh, and corporate, have other requirements that are more, um, that are above and beyond uh, like what I had to have. I think my personal, the company I worked for, I think wanted 1500 and they wanted an ATP and maybe a college degree and that was it. But Again, that, that's going to vary company to company. There's no, there's no one-stop shop answer on that. So when choosing a certain route for a career, you obviously, you've done, you've done the training, you've done, you know, the part 135, which corporate airline, you know, mm-hmm. you can call it what it is. Um, and now the cargo, what would you recommend to other young aviators out there uh, who are thinking about the route that they want to, to go? What type of things would they need to think about? I would say make sure the, you know, the quality of the instruction that you get uh, is worth what you're paying for it. And as I was speaking to previously, not all hours are created equal. So anytime you can make a night cross-country flight as opposed to a day local flight, that is, that's going to benefit you way more than, than just screwing around with your buddies, flying around downtown, whatever it is, Kansas City, Dallas, Atlanta, it doesn't matter. Uh, night cross country and or IMC are very, very valuable hours. And if you look at the regs and the way they're written, uh, you'll see that you'll see why I say that. Because if you look at like, for example, go look up a uh, one part 135 uh, IFR PIC hours. Well, it says total time, but then it's further subdivided into, okay, night and IFR, you know, either hood or actual. So, so actual IFR experience is great. When you can get it, cross country experience is even better. Um, nighttime is, is also is equally as good. So make sure you're, you're not just building hours for the sake of building hours. Make sure those are worthwhile hours and the experience that you're getting is worthwhile because if you go and tell someone that you have 1,500 hours uh, and, oh, okay, now I'm eligible for my ATP and now I'm going to get hired at a regional. Well, I mean, y- you might be fine depending on how sharp you are, but it's very, very difficult if all you've ever done is fly 172 around Oklahoma or Arkansas, you know, and then now you're applying for a regional, you're gonna be flying in and out of O'Hare and LaGuardia, you're in for a rude awakening. But if you've spent your time building hours flying into relatively busy airports, into difficult, stressful situations, you'll be ready. Yeah. It's just no different than football practice, right? You, you, run, you run wind sprints Monday through Thursday at the end of practice so that on Friday night, it's easy in the game, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the same same thing here. And what about what about career? You know, what would you say if somebody has to choose between uh, the corporate life, uh, airline life, or cargo life, or I don't know, you know, what are the types of things that somebody needs to think about? You know, just from you know how they're going to make their money. <clears throat> well, um, I would say money's not everything. Obviously, money is some of it because <laughs> we all got to eat. Live, yeah. We all got to live. Or live. Money's not everything. 
you have to consider your personal situation. For me, I'm a single guy. I don't have uh, I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. So that plays a huge role. I don't know that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now if that were the case, because commuting between DFW and Cincinnati is not the most convenient thing ever. Uh, it could be worse. I could be going to the Northeast, but it's still, I'm not home 15 plus days a month. And so if I had a wife or kids that I wasn't able to see that number of days a month, that would be uh, incredibly stressful and hard on my, on my marriage and my relationship with my children. But for me, not a thing. So you have to consider those, those sort of things. Maybe, maybe the job pays 15 or 20,000 less, but you're home 10 more days a month. Is that worth it to you? Maybe. I don't know. That's, an, that's a question you have to answer yourselves. I can't do it for you. Uh, the answer you get is going to be different no matter varying or it's going to vary depending upon who you speak with or who you talk to. Uh, so there's QOL, quality of life, huge thing. How, how much are you home? How much do you make? Uh, what are the benefits they offer? Is it health insurance? Is there not health insurance? Is there uh, loss of license insurance? I know a lot of the, I know like Emirates, for example, has loss of license insurance. If, if you are in a this car accident is a classical example and you can't fly now for six months because you broke your femur. Okay, well, now what? <laughs> right? Now you have to you have to still make income somehow, right? Yeah. Well, there you go. You know what I mean? So there's there's a lot of little nitty-gritty stuff you have to consider and don't let someone else answer that for you. Try to rush you into make oh come work here, they're the best place. Oh, you, you get you get more flying, you know, you, you build time faster. Well, okay, fine, but let's look at the whole picture. Don't fixate. Don't a lot of young guys get money symbols in their eyes. Oh, there's a ten thousand dollar signing bonus. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, but you're gonna be sitting on reserve, i.e. on call in St. Louis, or just as again, as an example, in whatever city, away from home, 20 days a month, and you're going to build 300 hours in a year. Good luck. Have fun. Oh, and by the way, you're making $38,000 a year. So you just have to figure out what's important to you, what's not important to you, because you're not going to find the, the unicorn job. Yeah. Those things don't exist. Or maybe they do, but they're so incredibly rare that the answer I give you isn't going to be tailor to that. <laughs> yeah, unlike our so, unlike our good friend, our Canadian friend Aaron who just kind of gets to <laughs> he just, you know, he he got a gift sent to him and now he's yep. on on the G280. But yep. luck does happen every once right. in a while and things do kind of fall in your lap right. and if good things like that, you probably as an aviator need to take advantage. Well, uh, take advantage and, and the it. difference there's a fundamental difference. Airlines the reason I chose the airline route I say airline, cargo or passenger flying yeah. is still airline in my opinion. So I know you're making differences between cargo or passenger, but in all in all, they are essentially the same, but versus corporate is different. So corporate, those guys usually, again, usually tend to make more money off the start, but then their salaries cap off sooner yeah. and at a lower amount, usually. Not not always, usually. Um, that's the ten, tendency. Airlines usually start making less, but then your earning potential over 15 or 20 or 30 years is far, far greater than corporate. And then the other thing is, you know, if I'm sick at an airline job, I'll just call sick. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. At a corporate job, you're leaving somebody hanging. You're going to screw over your fellow pilots. You're going to screw over the customer because there's usually a smaller operation involved. So there's a few things you have to consider. It's like, hey, you know what? If I need a day off and I wasn't given that day off, well, I really need it. In an airline world, I can get that. I can, I can get that day off more easily. So there's, like I said, a lot of little things to consider. Look, look at the, the, the macro picture. Don't get fixated. And I think that, I mean, the answer that you gave there, it, it says a lot about kind of your own personal beliefs. And, and that's, that's kind of good because I'd love to end, you know, the meat of, of my podcast kind of talking about, you know, my guests, personal beliefs and what they, what they believe in because I think it says a lot about them and kind of where they've gone uh, in their career. And I know it takes a lot uh, for someone to go from, 
you know, graduating from a great school uh, like SMU and then just going on, you know, this pilot journey because let's be honest, right? Like most people leaving SMU are not becoming, right. Not becoming pilots. Um, so before we wrap up the podcast, you know, this is, this is actually kind of my favorite part because, you know, I love talking, you know, aviation talk and, and seeing where you came from, but digging down into someone's personal beliefs, um, it, it really puts together where your experience, you know, came from and why you did, uh, mm-hmm. you did what you did. Um, and I think it really helps uh, some of the younger, you know, aviators out there um, in our community or, you know, ones coming in because I think this is the stuff that they need to hear. And then it's going to make them kind of reflect on, okay, you know, maybe I need to think differently. Uh, about something. So what do you feel, you know, are your personal values that you always, that you always live by? You know, is there one or two things that you, you know, you always live by or three maybe? Oh gosh, there's a, well, I have several, I'm sure. Say two. We'll, we'll say, say two. two that personal values that I always live by and with regard to aviation or, or what are aviation or life, you know, because like for me, right? Like we'll say, I don't know, honesty, right? Like Okay. I'm honest to to my instructors. I'm mean, honest to my club members. You know, yep. a uh, big one for me is treat others the way you expect to be treated. Yep. And that, like I said, that applies in life. Whether that means calling somebody back when they call you <laughs> in a real in a reasonable amount of time, yeah. or 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 maybe put their name in in your phone instead of leaving their put ma- their name in your phone instead of leaving their <laughs> yeah. number there and not knowing who they are <laughs> cough calling guilty as guilty charged. as charged I know I've done that too so treat others the way you expect you expect to be treated so it could mean that or I mean hey as an instructor you know I'm not I would never you know I've never stood up a student I've never not answered somebody when they called me ever there have been times I slept in I had to text oh, oh my god I'm so sorry I, I slept in or you know I had I flew with one guy last, you know, late midnight till midnight. Now if someone else booked me at 6 a.m., so sorry, I'm going to be a little tired. But but you have to, that, that can apply. So that principle or value goes from into aviation and beyond in my life. So treat those the way you expect to be treated. Then, oh gosh, another good one. And I think I think if you guys ever watched like Alan Watts videos, like the really inspirational guy, uh, he he made a video about you know do what you do what you love and don't chase the money because the money will follow. Mm-hmm. So do what you love. So my I guess advice, and and I know you're looking for a value, not my advice, but at this point, but if you do fly or you choose to fly or choose aviation as your career and do it because you love it truly don't worry the money will follow the quality of life will follow but if you do it because you think you can make good money and if you do it because you think that you want to have a couple more days off a month than your peers that's it's not going to suit you well because you'll end up hating your life so do what you love as a career find what that is whether that's flying or not And it's true. I, I feel like that's not that's not just true in aviation. I feel like that's true anywhere, right? Like, yeah. you're gonna be if you're doing something purely to make a you know a Benjamin, right? <laughs> you're probably gonna end up taking shortcuts. You're gonna end up you know doing things that will hurt you right. uh, in the end. And I feel like in aviation, if you're doing it because you purely love it, you're gonna hold your reputation right. versus trying to do it for the money. You're probably gonna wreck your 
well, reputation. Many, people always say, oh, money buys happiness, but how many, how many movie stars and celebrities do you guys know who have mental health issues or have committed suicide bankrupt. or something? Or bankrupt. Yeah, but, I mean, a lot of, I'm sure drugs and alcohol are involved in a lot of those situations, but at the same time, you can't just say, oh, well, make a bunch of money or I'm going to try to make a bunch of money and then you work yourself to death. Well, you know, it sure is a good thing you have made all that money because now you have no time to use it or spend it. You can't ever go to Tahiti because you're working yep. 85 hours a week, right? So you just have to consider that. And, and that was part of the reason, you know, I never, I was going to go to law school too at one point. I said, well, I don't want to work 80 hours a week. And I mean, yeah, I probably make more money quicker than being a pilot, but how will I really be happy? Yeah. Right? So. And I feel like, and it's kind of funny, right, about the aviation industry, I feel like the people who are in it for the right reasons, A, become the most successful and become the most well-known. True. Versus the people who are trying to make a buck out of it, you know, AKA in flight schools. I mean, how many stories have people heard of flight schools going under because of people oh, yeah. doing shady, yep. shady crap? Yep. Um, and then it hurts your reputation. The aviation exactly. is a small world. I'd rather, I'd rather be patient and do it the right way and keep my reputation versus trying to do shortcuts. Exactly. Um, so why do you... What do you believe, you know, maybe in aviation, especially like, because, you know, everybody has to start out at a young age doing it. Um, but why do you think that people give up their, their aviation dreams? You know, what are some common reasons for that? Oh, I mean, I think the well-known ones are, you know, no money or, um, I think it's a big one is lack of funding or they run out of funding yeah. after they've gotten midway through it or life happens. And a lot of people wife gets pregnant. Oh, I'm just kidding. And now I got to keep this current job because I'm making three times what I'd be making at my first flying job. So there's a lot of that. Or parents that are old and they get sick and need someone to be at home and pay attention to them. I know that's a big one for a few people I've talked to. They have family that, that need more attention. Uh, and then family in general, not just maybe sick, but like I was talking to earlier, you I was never home, so I got to be with my wife, with my kids, my husband. So they they give up aviation because they're gone. They're on the road living out of a suitcase in a hotel room all the time, and they hate that. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's just not for some people. If you want to be in your own bed every night, then do not fly for a living, period, yeah. end of story. Whether that's corporate, airline, or otherwise, do not do it. Because if you can't handle having triplicate of everything, I've got three deodorants, one in my bag, <laughs> one at home in, here in Frisco in Texas, and then one in my crash pad in Cincinnati. Yeah. I've got three toothbrushes, three toothpaste. I got multiple, there's clothes I have in Cincinnati that will never come here and vice versa because it prevents me from having to pack, repack, forget something. It, it just, it takes. Unless your base moves from Cincinnati to somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> if, if my base moves and I'll move all my other junk with it. But my, my point is, it's, it's like I try to make my life as easy as possible. And so, but it's still difficult. There's still things where, oh my gosh, I forgot this in this place. And now I need to go to the store, you know. So if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, that puts you at 18, uh, I believe. What would you, what would you tell the younger self? Oh gosh, <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> some good, some not some, so good. Some, some good, some things you probably don't want me mentioning on the podcast, <laughs> involving dating life, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> don't call her back. Um, Which actually, it brings up a good point, right? Like for you know, for both females and males, like the aviation world. Like you just said, I mean, sometimes you're not going to be in your own bed. You're going to be m moving from city to city. You're going to be flying from city to city. You're going to be yep. spending the night because of ground stops. Who knows, right? Like, it's yep. hard. That's true. But what advice would I give myself? 
Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's tough, man. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Maybe... Maybe I would have... There's a couple opportunities I passed up. Maybe contract flying other aircraft that I would have done. Just as far as aviation goes, it's, uh, there's a couple contract jobs I passed up. But then again, I don't know. Because I feel like what I did was, was a good route. So I, I don't know. I'm sure those would have also been a good route. It just would have been different. So, you know, we're, we're, I guess for me to give a different answer with regard to my aviation career, would have, I'd be splitting hairs. Um, I wouldn't know a lot of the people that I know now, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything if I had chosen to work somewhere else or if I had chosen to, to not do this or do that. So I, I, can't, I can't say aviation-wise, I can't say that there's any different advice I would have given to myself. But it definitely sounds like through some of the answers that you, that you gave uh, previous and that with what you just said, obviously keeping a network and trying keeping new things. Keeping a network and yes. trying new things Ab is absolutely. pretty important. It's, it's all about, ever heard the saying, it's not the grades you make, it's the hands you shake? Yep. That couldn't be more truthful. And to the point, I feel you, you go as far as you want in aviation by how hard you want to work in that's right. based on who you want to meet because there's a lot of people like we were talking about previously in the, uh, before we started the podcast I, I love reading these boards and just seeing the comments that some of these young kids make on. and I'm like you, you've applied to 10 airlines you haven't gotten a call back have you actually put in the full effort to try to reach people or are you just you know right. sending blank you know it's, it's right. like there's some work to get to know people and if you do get to know people opportunities exist out there that's true and especially in this day and age 2018 2019 it's it's a pilot's market i've said it before and i continue to say it because it's not there was a time not so long ago even 10 years ago where uh, tables were turned and they they had more applicants than they had jobs now it's the other way around it's more jobs than there are applicants so if you want a job somewhere, if you want to get your foot in the door, now's the time to do it. And it, it's a matter of, I mean, it's not going to be a fairy tale job. You can't, if you expect to make $90,000 a year as your first job flying a twin turbojet aircraft, you're out of your mind. Yeah. There might be a situation where that would be the case, <coughs> Aaron. <laughs> but <laughs> Oak front, No, I'm just kidding. I, don't, I, don't, I also don't, I don't know how much Aaron makes, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah. But anyway, um, but you can't look for a fairy tale job of your first job. It's it's not different now than it was back then. You're still gonna put your time in, put your pay your dues, do something. Uh, I I did. Mm -hmm. you know, I flew Cessnas in the scorching July heat in North Texas. But whether that's survey or aerial photography or flight instructing and something you don't want to do, you got to do it for a while. Build your hours, build your experience up. So. All right. So we've learned. I mean, we've learned a lot about you know your personal life we learned about how you've been able to navigate the uh the aviation industry uh, in through your career landing now to where you are in the 767 in the cargo world uh and i feel like there's a lot of stuff in there that people can utilize in their own career should they want to take something uh in the aviation space uh and we learned a lot and i appreciate you sharing uh, a lot of that information but it's time now to get in the fun part of the podcast uh -oh. It is, uh, it's time now for the lightning round questions. And basically, the way the lightning round questions go, I ask everybody this. You can't get out of it. Okay. Uh, it's the same 10 questions I ask every single guest on the podcast. Uh, so I'm going to ask 10 questions. Uh, very fun, simple answers. Uh, but whatever is on the tip of your tongue, when I ask the question, you have to say. The whole point is to get some lighthearted fun right. uh, in this. But we'll, we'll keep it 
between 13 and R, all right? PG-13. Between, between PG-13 and, and R. We'll keep it in between. Um, but it's supposed to just be lighthearted and funny. Uh, so question number one of the lightning round. Everyone in aviation has their own quirks. So on a scale of one to ten, how weird do you consider yourself? Well, everyone in aviation has what? Has their own quirks. Own how quirks. weird do you consider yourself? How weird do I consider yep. myself? And don't and lie. On one to ten? Yeah. Five or six. Oh, you're killing my streak. <laughs> every every guest I've had has ten. said seven seven to ten has been has no, been the average. I'm, I don't say I'm that weird. I still get I still have uh, a relatively good dating life. That's what I judge it off of. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I usually get more than one date. So, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So I don't know. I mean, I'm weird in this. I'm a germaphobe. That's pretty weird, man. I mean, and like I wipe the cockpit down anytime I get in a new airplane. I get the little the sandy sandy cloth oh, rags, geez. and I like wipe down all the the throttles and the the push to talk switch and all the stuff that I'm gonna touch, you know, the bleeder valves and all. So, because I I don't want to I don't catch the freaking flu. Yeah, no, you know? I, 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 I got <laughs> so I'm weird in that sense, I guess. But <laughs> all right, so you got a little bit of weirdness in you. That's good. Yeah. All right, question number two: What is your favorite word? Favorite word? Yep. Oh gosh, I can't even. You have to make me think of this. This is lightning round, but I can't. Well, I'm allowed to go Mary Poppins on you? Oh, that's yeah. Super califragilistic expialidocious. Oh, okay. oh my gosh! All right. Question number three: What's your favorite food? Favorite food? Definitely something my grandmother makes called grape leaves. It's like the rice. Greek. Yeah. yeah, the Greek uh, or Dalmas. Middle Eastern. Yeah. Yep. Same thing. We call them. Yeah. Grape leaves. Yeah. Grape leaves. Yeah. I love them. I got a uh, Trader Joe's puts them in a little can, kind of like sardines. Oh, but it has so to be my grandmother's. I, I can't have them anywhere else. Yeah. Question number four: What sound or noise do you absolutely love? Love. Yep. You said between PG thirteen and R, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep this one clean, all right? Keep this one clean. What noise do I love? Running water. Really? Yeah. Have you never sat, like, by the... Uh, running water, like, not, like, in the pipes, but, I mean, you're out in nature. Yeah. You're oh, sitting out like in a forest, a, like a, a, a creek or a stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Running water. It's kind of soothing, peaceful. It's kind of a white noise to fall asleep to, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I thought you were, like, running water out of a faucet or something. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> That makes me mad. No, if the you're, water's no, you're the one that's weird. If you, I, if that's I, like. I am, man. I think I've judged myself about it. <laughs> um, question number five. What's the most important thing you carry with you on every single flight? The most important thing I carry with me on every single flight. And that's whether I'm Cessna 767. Doesn't matter, right? Yep. Protein bar. Really? Really. Just like a little snack, you know? Something. Yeah. Because not all our flights are catered. Some of them are. But protein bar for sure. All right, question number six. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt if you had the opportunity? Be an attorney, be a lawyer. What kind of lawyer? I don't know. I haven't thought that deep into it, yeah. but something not criminal. I don't think I want to defend shitheads, but, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that'd be, I see my, that's something I saw myself doing in the past, and I could probably do it if I had to in the future. All right, you know? question number seven. What are you not very good at? What am I not very good at? <laughs> Being patient with stupid people? No. <laughs> I mean, is tough for people. But, but I say I say stupid people. I don't mean I don't mean necessarily IQ stupid. I'm I'm just talking about people that do stupid stuff. Yeah. Stuff that is like like what are you doing? You know, being on the road is a classic example. I'm people that don't 
don't, don't use think. your blinkers. Don't just, use your, yeah, yeah. People that don't think before they do something in life. It's yeah. like, some, yeah, why would you, anytime you think to someone, oh, why would you do that? That's the kind of thing I'm very, very impatient with. I don't, I'm not, I don't know, I have a lot of, a lot of uh, respect for that. <laughs> All right, question number eight. What is your ultimate dream in life? Ultimate dream in life? Yep. Uh, ultimate dream in life. To have a house on the beach and a house in the mountains. Two houses. Two. I agree with the... See, I'm not much of a beach person. No? I like the mountain but when idea. The, when the, I want to retire the mountains. The thing is, when the seasons change, when it's That's, crazy hot, you, when, it's, when it's in the summer, you go to the mountains. When it's in the winter, you go to the beach. Oh, I'd go to the mountains in the summer, or in the uh, in the winter. Really? And, yeah. Yeah. I love... I mean, I, I do too. I love them in the winter too, yeah. but I just get sick of the cold eventually, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's why I moved down here to Texas. All right, <laughs> question number nine, and this is going to be a funny one, I'm sure. What is your biggest pet peeve in aviation? My biggest pet peeve in Oh, my gosh. My biggest. Your biggest. Oh, gosh. I'm going to make some people laugh. Maybe. Maybe not. Because there's a lot of pet peeves. I'm an instructor, right? So yeah. there's a lot of pet peeves I have. But my biggest pet peeve... Probably when people have shitty radio work, people that can't talk on the radio. And I don't mean student pilots. I mean people that are licensed and shouldn't know what they're doing. I mean yeah. people, like for example, anyone in the traffic pattern, please advise. Hmm, well, no, there was four of us in the pattern that were talking. You just weren't listening. And if you had, you'd know there were people in the pattern. Yeah. Or, you know what? He said advise, so I guess I'll answer him now. I wasn't going to before when he when he called up ready to, you know, saying he was entering the downwind. I wasn't going to answer him, but since he said anyone traffic fees advise, I'll, I'll advise him. Like, hey, dummy, uh, you don't need to say that. Yeah. Because now there's four people in the pattern. Now they all stepped on top of each other trying to answer you. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I hate that. It, it, it's, it, it gets under a lot of anyone people's in the, Anyone in the pattern, please advise. Well, the guy in the side, <laughs> the guy in the, uh, J3 Cub, who has no radio, it's not going to matter whether you said please advise or not. He's not going to advise you anyway. He yeah. can't hear you. All right, last <laughs> question of the lightning round. Question number 10. If you could fly anything, what would you fly? If I could fly anything, what would I fly? Mm, let's see here. I think a fighter is too cliche of an answer. What kind of fighter? I guess wouldn't make God, it I don't cliche. know. That's a tough question. Because you could you could say like uh, somebody. Uh, I think e, uh, Ian on our last episode. I think he said the warthog. Yeah, I don't know. That's man. a fighter, but it's pretty twenty two. Cool. Golly, although you know the SR seventy one's always been my dream bird mm. too. So I don't know SR seventy one if they brought it back. If they brought yeah. Well, if they brought it back, obviously. But, I mean, it's like I think it would just be fun to be that close to space yeah <laughs> i was thinking about it this week this question uh and i was thinking to myself because i saw a picture of it if they could bring it back and i was a pretty experienced pilot i would love to take a shot at flying the concord that'd be cool yeah be cool i would say space shuttle but that thing doesn't really fly it more of just floats and floats then sinks <laughs> and then sinks yeah <laughs> that's not really not really an airplane so to speak all right, so we finished the the lightning round question, and now we're gonna ra- we're gonna wrap up the podcast here. But I wrap the podcast up just like everything. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you a single question. Okay. Uh, and then after you answer that, I'm going to allow you to ask me, the host, uh, a question. I, the thing about I love about this is I don't know what you're going to ask. It's going to be an impromptu answer from me. It's going to be an impromptu uh, question from you. So I'm really interested uh, to see what you have to ask. And then uh, we're going to wrap up kind of allowing people to to understand where they can reach out to you if, should they have questions about you know mm-hmm. maybe the different routes uh, that you've taken. So the final question that I want to ask you is 70 years from now, how do you want people to, to remember you? 70 years from now, I just want to be known as a positive, someone who positively impacted someone or other people's lives. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not going to take, there's no money or jewelry or cars or houses or anything I'm going to take to my grave with me. The only thing each of us will take is our name. Yep. And what others remember. So... I want to be remembered as the guy that, you know, I, I want people to be able to say, oh, you know what? He helped me get here. He yep. helped me do this. That's, or it was because of him that I was able to blah, 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 blah. Well, so. and, and, and that's what, and that's why I love, you know, when I have guests like you guys, you know, on this podcast, cause every, that's what, you know, everybody has a different answer, but it surrounds being a positive influence and a positive role model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just by you laying out your story and everything that you've been through, the troubles, uh, the hard places, you know, working three jobs, et cetera. Uh, and then ultimately being where you are today. I mean, hopefully that helps, you know, other people help navigate their own, yeah, their so. own life and career. Um, which is, which is, which is always good. And those are the type of people I want to continue having, you know, on the podcast, like yourself. I don't want, I definitely want, I don't want a negative role model. Sure. Coming, no, uh, no, nothing. Coming, any of us do. Through, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So what's the question that you want to ask, uh, your hope to wrap up the, uh, the host, excuse me, to wrap up the, the podcast. question that I want to ask the host, how much do you regret having me here today? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I shouldn't have texted him. I shouldn't have texted him last week. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, how about this? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? That's a good question. Um, You know, I think my own boss at work has asked me that. My mom, my dad have asked me that. My wife has asked me that. And I honestly, I do not think I can answer that question. I used to. That was a question I got. In my first interview, leaving college, somebody asked, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Mm-hmm. And I gave the cliche, you know, corporate answer, right? right. Like, I want to start here, you know, gain some experience, you know, become a manager, and then, you know, hopefully be a director in 10 years, blah, blah, blah. You know, what every kid will say, right? Right. Um, but 10 years is so far from now, that's going to put me at 38 years old. I'm 22. No. I honestly... We'll, we'll both have gray hair by then. Probably, yeah. <laughs> being in aviation, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know where I'm going to be next year, right? Like I, I try to keep it, you know, at a year now because trying to even think five years from now, like it's good to have a plan. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I'm going to take a wild assumption. I'll probably have kids in 10 years. I'm married. Right. My wife's not going to let me <laughs> go kidless for <laughs> 10 more years, 12 years total. Right. Like she <laughs> loves kids. That's just not going to happen. That's something that we want. Um, so I'll probably have kids. Right. Um, I hope to still be here in Texas. I love this state. Um, you know, moving here was something new for me because I'm from the Midwest. Um, I hope to have, you know, my CFI and, you know, be making moves uh, in the aviation world. You know, don't know where the podcast will be in 10 years. Really don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's growing, uh, you know, at a really cool pace. So hopefully still have this. Maybe it's morphed into something else, right? Like right. we all get older, can't really focus purely on the younger generation. It'll morph over time. Um, but just chronicling, you know, people's stories, you know, how 
they've done. And maybe this turns into a media company. I don't know, right? Yeah, man. Um, but I would say at least, you know, I look at it a year. I had a year goal of, you know, I want to get to my commercial rating. That's kind of the step right now. Where that commercial rating is going to take me, I don't hmm. know. I'm on the business side of the aviation world. Um, I, I, my father-in-law asked me this the other week. You know, you ever look at, you know, want to do you know, the airline route or working, you know, doing this for a living. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I still love the business part of aviation. It, it's still a lot yeah. of fun. Um, but maybe being able to do certain jobs, like you said, like contracting stuff on the side now, how soon? I don't know. I really don't. Um, but I love the, um, the sales side of aviation. I think OEMs are very, very interesting. They're all different. Um, they're on their own beasts. I think aircraft, trying to sell an aircraft is so interesting how you yeah. have to do it to different people how Boeing sells an aircraft to airlines is totally different on how we sell a helicopter to an individual operator um, so it depends on what you want to do um, I like the OEM side um, but I have a huge passion in the fixed wing side too like uh, general aviation and, and where that passion takes me I don't know in the next year I hope it takes me to my commercial rating mm-hmm. so saying where do I see myself in 10 years I hope I still look as good as I do now. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so that's Fair enough. That's, that's a good uh, answer. That's my answer. So uh, before we wrap up, the last question I want to ask you, this is the question we're going to post out there on social media when we uh, release the podcast, but what question do you have for the audience out there? What question do I have for the audience? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, does it have to... It can be any, anything, right? Like Any guidelines? Yeah. No, just any question... You know, let's tailor it more towards aviation because sure. it tends to be, you know, our demographic who's listening. Uh, but it could be about anything, really. Hmm. Gosh, what question? I mean, do you I could have? even you could even go as far as saying, you know, as an aviator, where's your favorite place to place yeah, to eat? Because okay. it's weird, right? Like I right. have some aviator friends that I follow on social media, and I think they're up in Canada. All they do all the time is they post these videos of them drinking out of this coffee mug and mm. it's a donut shop and in the cockpit while they're up there and they're with their teeth, they're unraveling the top mm-hmm. of the coffee mug and there's usually secret notes on the bottom of them. And it looks like they absolutely love this place. So stupid questions like that, right? Like Stupid questions. Let's see. But it could be serious, yeah. right? All right. What's the most scared you have ever been in an airplane? good question i like it i'm actually really intrigued i want to blast that out there because i yeah. feel like that's a good question for have you blasted me that before so really yeah what's your answer the answer to mine failed de-ice boots and in, in severe icing really <laughs> somewhere up in minnesota yeah oh geez i think that was a good one yeah and then there's a close second where a main landing gear didn't come down on a bonanza mm-hmm but the other two did. <laughs> did they finally end up coming I down? I finally got it down, yeah, but it got stuck. So that was a scary one. Yeah, I think for me, and this actually happened because I was still new. I was still training. I was within my first 20 hours, and I really didn't get to the full piece of the ground training and getting into training uh, through my instructor itself. But we were in the pattern coming in for landing, and the comms just went. Yep. And this was a G1000 aircraft. I'm like, come on, really? Mm-hmm. And the comms just went, the little red X's showed yep. up. And I'm like, oh, shh. <laughs> Luckily, while I was, you know, I was uh, I was downwind, I had been cleared for landing. You know, oh, it was cool. a towered airport and everything. But I'm like, oh, thank God this wasn't like. But that was a real first test. Like, 
oh shit, this could really happen. Like right. this is not, this is not just stuff. So it's just stuff you have to prepare for. So that was like, it wasn't scary, but it was like a, oh shit moment. Like, right. Hey man, this stuff's, this stuff's real. Plenty of those <laughs> over the years. All right. So, so uh, to round out the podcast, as we end this, where can people find you out on social, me- social, social media? media. <laughs> Should they want to reach out, talk about the Cargo Life, talk about what it was like boutique, anything, you know, that you've had experience, where can they find you? Well, they can add me or message me on Instagram, bgmaso28, B-G-M-A-S-O 28. Uh, that's probably the best way, I think. Uh, I just personal rule Facebook, unless I've met someone or I have mutual friends with them that know them, I don't add someone on Facebook. That's just a personal thing. So yep. it's not, don't anyone take offense to it. I just try to keep that more for my friends and family. But, uh, you know, if they happen to know a good friend of mine or something, then I'm more than happy on Facebook. However, I do have a Facebook page that they can message or add me on. Uh, that's Brandon Masso, my name, CFI, CFIIMEI. So it's comma, comma, comma between so it's my name and comma, CFI, comma, CFII, comma, MEI. And I think they can message me on there. But the other thing about Facebook sometimes is you'll send a message to somebody and, and it like filters them out if you yep. guys aren't friends and you won't even see them. So I would say Instagram is probably better. Um, so those are probably the two best ways that that you could put out there and people can message me. And I think I don't have a Twitter. I just don't use it. <laughs> I have a Twitter. Else. It's more just like from my knowledge of what's going on out there versus yeah. really, really using it. Yeah. Those are the two I use. All right, everybody. So if you do have a question for, uh, for Brandon, make sure you go over to, uh, to Instagram, as he just said, uh, give him a follow first. Don't message him before you follow him. That's my rule. That's right. You got to follow him before you can <laughs> message him because if you don't follow him, then he's, your message is going to end up showing as a request and he's not going to answer requests. Um, <laughs> well, I might, if I see it, I'll answer it, but I'm, it's I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, but go give him a follow. Uh, and we're going to post that question, uh, when we release the, uh, the podcast episode. So I'm really intrigued to see what, uh, what other people have to answer, uh, for their scariest, scariest time yeah. flying. <laughs> um, but Brandon, man, so much good information. Thanks for playing along with the, the lightning round questions. Absolutely. Um, even though, you say you're not weird. All pilots are weird, man. Well, All I, pilots are well, weird. Yeah. I, I try to, you know, <laughs> got a reputation to uphold here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you know, thank you so much for joining uh, on the podcast. I hope people took a lot of good information uh, out of today's episode, um, and just for for being guest. Uh, you know, I love talking, love having guests, love talking with them, just learning from them because I think. I think I learned probably a lot more than the audience does uh, <laughs> from my guests. So uh, no, I just really appreciate your time. Uh, today on the podcast no problem man good to be here and uh for everybody out there if you if you don't follow the podcast instagram go over to instagram search at have geek chronicles a v g e e k chronicles over on instagram we're going to go out and when this post uh when this podcast goes live we're going to put out the post we're going to post the question make sure you respond uh and if you haven't already if you have not left a rating or a comment about the podcast make sure you go over to the itunes podcast library rate the podcast give it a review let us know what you think because your reviews uh and what you you know what you what you're saying is is how we're going to be able to grow this podcast and and meet new people and have new guests uh like brandon on the show so make sure you go over there leave a rating uh and leave a comment on the podcast but thank you so much thank you brandon again uh thank you for everybody who's been listening and been following the podcast the growth has been amazing in the reviews uh, that I'm just getting personally and that are showing up uh, on iTunes have been awesome. So we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And we hope to see you next time on the next episode of uh, Abby Chronicles. See you. All right. See you. Let's go.